Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the voice of MMA, Teddy Atlas. <laughs> Teddy, how you doing? You just love to <laughs> give it to those boxing fans. Teddy, it gets them going. I, the, the people are guaranteed before they hear my next sentence are already typing like, who the hell is he calling the voice of MMA? Yeah, guys, I know. It's, I'm saying it in jest. <laughs> Get over it. We're becoming, Teddy's becoming the voice, so Just deal with it. I love to give those little sticks, those little, <laughs> those little jabs with the sharp point at the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they, they put another, they, they put on a probably a more, Look, I'm not looking at uh, boxing's my life, but they probably put a a more interesting, compelling show on that night than uh, boxing did. Is I, I, is that kind of not not that, probably one hundred percent? Is that kind of fair? Top to bottom, stacked card per usual, super entertaining. Everything about it was great. The three featured bouts of the night. Oh my god, could they have been any more entertaining? Nate Diaz getting beat up for five rounds with a minute to go. Has Leon Edwards on Queer Street. Balil Muhammad taking a MMA legend, legendary black belt and basically having his way with them all night. And then the main event, of course, Israel Adesanya never disappoints. The whole thing was awesome. It was just, I mean, it yeah. was awesome. They did it again. Yeah, and, and, um, and you left out the Marino fight. We'll talk about that, but... Oh my! Of, oh my! Oh of course, uh, the first, the first Mexican-born UFC champion in the history of UFC. Wow, wow! What a job! Oh, we'll get into we'll get into his whole story. I mean, just being like last pick on the Ultimate Fighter. I mean, talk about determination, and we'll get into it. Let's uh, let's start with the Balil Muhammad versus Damian Maya fight. I mean, I think uh, you know Damian Maya has been a legend for a long time. UFC, uh, sorry, uh, BJJ black belt. I mean, as good a, as good a Brazilian jiu-jitsu player as the UFC's probably ever seen. Just unbelievable. And uh, Balil Muhammad coming off coming off that unfortunate eye poke against um, Leon Edwards looked awesome, well rounded, defended all the takedowns. Just an awesome performance by Muhammad. What'd you think? Yeah, I mean he's he's as famous as this guy right here. Can you see this, Ken? This fellow <laughs> right here, Bernardo, with BJJ fanatic from Brazil. Matter of fact, he's married to one of the 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 family, the royal family, the Gracies. Yep. I mean, it doesn't get more royal than that. He's he's married to a daughter of the Gracies, uh, uh, Faria. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, Bernardo Faria. Um, he's I do the I do the instructional videos with him and his partner, Michael. And they do a great job doing instructional. It used to be mostly jiu-jitsu, BJJ fanatics, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But now it's dynamic striking too. And um, they're doing more and more of just plain old striking, more and more of boxing. And that's where I kind of fit in a little bit. But the Maya, Maya fight, you know, as great as he's been, you might have been a little surprised how one-dimensional he was on this particular night where, and, and don't get me wrong, uh, you, you can be a one-trick pony if that trick is so great, and he has been, where that trick is so great at takedowns and getting you, getting the geography, as I always speak of, that you need for your talents, uh, 
getting, in his case, on the floor, on a mat where he could do his thing. But you have to have a little diversity. Either you're so great at it that it works every freaking time, or you have to have some dimension, diversity, dimension to how you're going to have or how you're going to approach your takedowns and what your options are. There was no option. It was a one-legged approach, and all night long, as you said, Ken, Muhammad was able to defend it. And all the credit in the world to Muhammad. All the credit. I mean, he knew what he had to do, and he defended it beautifully. But it was the same thing coming at him all night. The same approach to get that takedown. Almost a desperate approach. Almost almost approach like I don't got anything else. And uh, once it wasn't working, there was no plan B. There was no other way. And again, when I say plan B, I don't say step up your striking. I get what his strength is. I get it. But a different way of getting in, a different way of getting in a door. If you're a salesman, you're trying to sell something and they keep slamming the front door on you, well, you got to go in the side door. You got to try something else. <laughs> maybe maybe you try the phone. Hello? hello. You know, you, you try something different because that's not working. And it wasn't working. And I was just a little surprised to see again that there was maybe at this point in his life, this point in his career, but that there was no where else to go for him to try to get that takedown once Muhammad proved himself so worthy, so worthy of of defending it, so prepared to defend it. And then of course that was that was really basically, you know, game uh over because Maya was not going to be able to outstrike him. He was not going to be able to stand on his feet and win that fight. He had to get a certain amount of times onto the floor and be productive on the floor, be effective on the floor. And the only thing, again, I, I it was just surprising that there was no alternative, no option to the takedown for him. Uh, I, I hope I'm not uh, overstepping my bounds by trying to act like I know anything about MMA other than, you know, it's fighting and it, and the striking part of it. But I appreciate all parts, all dimensions. And I, I would say, I believe it fell under the category of a one-legged approach, one-legged takedown. And that, that wasn't getting it. That wasn't getting it. So the only time I've seen people in any sports or any endeavors in life that are great at only one thing and you see it you do see it but you have to be great at that one thing dominant at one thing and it has to always work uh for example uh the greatest relief pitcher of all time mariano rivera he, he beat the red sox a few times you might recall that <laughs> and he um <laughs> you know he Greatest relief pitch of all time. He had one pitch, the cut fastball. Really? Mario Rivera had one pitch, basically, the cut fastball. But guess what? That's all he needed because it worked every time. 
I mean, he was able to execute. Uh, he was able to make sure it worked. Look, Vince Lombardi, the some people think the greatest coach of all time. Uh, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Great leader, uh, great motivator, you know, great pioneer. He had the Green Bay Packers. He would run. His thing was to run the power sweep. The Green Bay Packers were known for the power sweep. And he's his famous words, Vince Lombardi, the great Vince Lombardi, was that he would say, you know what? I could tell you it's coming. I could tell the across the field, hey, guys, here comes the power sweep. And we're still going to do it. We're still going to pull it off. We're still going to be effective with it. As long as we execute, as long as everybody on that line makes their block, the guards have to pull. It's got to be synchronized. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be timed. It's got to be what it, it's got to be what it's supposed to be, where it's a coordinated effort. And if everyone does their job, you could know it's coming, and we're still going to be successful with it. And okay, but on other than that. I haven't seen where there are times where that one great ability, it ain't enough. And on Saturday night, it wasn't enough. It, it wasn't going to win the night for Maya against Muhammad. And um, all credit to Muhammad, you know, f again, for taking it away from him. Yeah. That was an entertaining fight. Next up, we had uh, Leon Rocky Edwards versus Nate Diaz, probably one of the most anticipated fights of the night. And uh, looking for the first four rounds in four minutes, like uh, what a lot of people, or at least the odds makers were expecting, was a, a one-sided fight with Edwards controlling most of the action. But my God, I remember thinking like, it reminds me of, of instances where you've said, like, this is a guy that you have to be like Devin Haney. You have to be on all night with Nate Diaz. If you make one mistake, he's going to make you pay. And that's exactly what happened. And, and, and I also thought of like uh, Roy Jones and the analogy you used that he makes he can get away with doing the wrong things like Nate was doing. He had his hands down. He was clowning. He was lunging with punches. And then eventually, boom, he caught him with a lunging one, two and had him in bad shape. I thought he could have showed a little more urgency in jumping on him. But Edwards survived the round and got the win. How'd you like the fight? I, I'm going to disagree with you. 100%. And, and I'll say why. In a respectful way, of course. But I, I mean, this obviously, I spent my whole life in this business. And so I get the right to disagree every once in a while. Um, uh, plus, I got gray hair. When you got gray hair, you're allowed to, you're allowed to get away with disagreeing um, a little bit more. But I, I thought Nate Diaz was phenomenal all night long. And I'll tell you why, Ken. Uh, I, he's been predictable. He's been a guy, like I said, the rock and the rock has taken such a pounding. And one day you come back and you touch the rock and it, a piece falls off. And that wasn't a day that didn't have, but the point is that he's been a guy that's always taken massive punishment, always coming in, coming in, coming in and in a predictable fashion and getting hit. And on this particular night, at this particular point in his career, he understood on some level, on the most important level, 
that he couldn't do that with this guy. He couldn't do that anymore, maybe, at this point in his career. So he had to come up with something. And his erratic behavior, the lunging you talked about, the herky-jerky movements, that was planned. That, that, wasn't, that wasn't lack of form. That wasn't lack of uh, balance. That wasn't uh, lack of understanding uh, or bad technique. That was purposeful. That was, that was planned where he would act like he was coming in and walk. And it wasn't even clowning and showmanship, even though it provides some of that. I get it. I get it. But, oh, my God, I take my hat off to this guy, and I want people to appreciate. And that's why I I'm, I'm, I'm was waiting to deal with this and to talk about this in this way, and you set me up perfectly because a lot of fans probably feel the same way, and they're so wrong. Nate Diaz, everything he did was for a reason. There was a plan behind it. He acted like he was coming, then he walked away. You know, he, he moved his hands in crazy ways. Uh, then all of a sudden he threw a slap, then he threw a real punch. It was for distraction. It was to keep Edwards, who is such a sound sound guy. See, Edwards is one of those guys I have so much respect for that I talk about like with Marvin Hagler, where he doesn't have, even though he's got great talent, he doesn't have the neon talent that you think of as neon talent, where it just blows up, where it's just on fire, where there's a fire over there. Let's go see what that fire, because it's emanating a flame, and it's emanating light, and that light's going to bring our attention to it. He doesn't have that Sugar Ray Leonard like the, the Four Kings were just on, and they, they had another tremendous uh, part two to it uh, the other night. And where you see a Sugar Ray Lennon with, with, the, with the speed and the finesse and everything, all that kind of talent, the footwork, the, the everything. And then you got guys like Marvin Hagler, the blue-collar type guys, where their greatest talent is being dependable. Yeah, they're talented. Yeah, he had good hand speed. Yeah, he had power. Yeah, he had technique. But he was dependable. That's a talent. That's a talent. And... That is maybe the greatest talent we have on the planet, to be reliable, to be dependable, to be consistent. And that's Edwards. Oh, my God. That's Edwards. He has all of that and the technique with it where he's consistent, where he's dependable. He's a real pro. In the old days, that's what they called a real pro. Just a real pro, not flashy, maybe not the greatest puncher, maybe not the fastest guy, maybe, but a real solid pro and you're gonna have a tough time beating a real solid pro he's well-rounded he's all those things but he's a guy who is together mentally he's a guy who is just so damn dependable and always in position never out of position does does everything the right way and you're fighting a guy like that you're gonna get chopped up ken you're gonna get chopped up just walking in because the guy is going to do a methodical job on you. And he was doing it. Even with Nate Diaz, with all the tricks and everything, he was still getting chopped up a little bit, but not as bad as it could have been. Edwards was tremendous. He was, he was just, he, he's like a Timex watch. You know, he, he doesn't miss a beat. He, he, he gives you the right time all the time. And Diaz understood that. Diaz knew if he walked into this guy like he does a lot of guys and just kept coming forward, he's going to get chopped up. 
And he might not last the five rounds as far as cuts and everything else. I know his gas tank. I know that it's, I, I, I get it. I know that it's legendary. I know his endurance, everything else, his toughness. I get it. But it, it might, he might not have gotten through, kind of like the Masvidal fight. He might, might not have gotten through. But he threw in these things that looked like they were awkward, and they were awkward. They looked like it was off balance. No. It was all on purpose, where he was able to keep Edwards a little off balance enough to get to the finish, enough to still be in the fight, to be not as damaged as he would have been, to still be there to have a shot. And he had a shot in the fifth round because of that. And, and again, I, I cannot emphasize enough of... And, and go out of my way to make sure that people, because I always talk about this sport, just like boxing, it's more than just being tough. It's about being smart. It's about being instinctual. It's about intelligence. And yeah, a lot of people are going to laugh. Yeah, well, they, they, they just a tough. No, he was intelligent. He was, he was doing those things to buy time, to get him through with a, as little damage as possible and it got him through it kept edwards just enough off balance it, it screwed up his timing just enough just enough where he was able to be there for a big fifth round and oh my god what a fifth round and then in the fifth round talk about the fights in a fire and you got to pull it out of the fire what does he do? Again, he doesn't lunge. It wasn't lunging. He didn't. It was all on purpose. And it was all set up from what he was doing earlier when he was moving his hands and he was doing all that kind of stuff, looking like he was going to do some kind of um, cheap magic trick, you know, like you do with your, with your grandchildren or you do with your nieces and nephews and you distract them and then you, you pull something from behind their ear. You know, uh, all of that was to get Edwards used to it, to make Edwards think, okay, nothing different's going to happen. It was all part of the setup, all part of the thinking, all part of the scheme. And then what does he do? First of all, he makes sure that he gets into the southpaw stance because he switches. Why the southpaw stance? Well, because it's harder to pick up for an orthodox fighter. It's harder to pick up punches from that angle because that's a little bit more of an awkward angle, a little bit more of an unseen angle where you don't see the punches coming from that angle you know, on a regular basis, the way you do in an orthodox position. So he's now he's in a southpaw, not by accident. He's in a southpaw position. What does he do? He moves around his hands a little bit, and then he takes his right hand and he slaps the left hand of of Edwards. Slaps it, slaps it like like slap like 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 to to make him think, oh, that that's all I'm doing. I'm, I'm playing with you. I, I'm slapping your hand. And what does that do? It takes Edwards for a split second. It takes his eyes. It takes his eyes. The eyes are so important in a fight. You must always see everything. That's what I mean when I used to call the fights on ESPN and say a guy's got good eyes. He's got good vision. He's calm. He sees everything. He's laser-like. He's concentrated. You have to see. Because if you don't see it, your brain won't register it coming and you'll be hurt more. You're, you could get knocked out. 
Those, those are the ones that can hurt you even more, those punches, because you don't have time to prepare yourself for it. You didn't see it. So he's trying to distract him. So he takes his right hand, Ken, from the southpaw position, and he slaps the left hand of, of Edwards. And by doing that, he gets Edwards' attention for a millisecond over on that side, and then right behind it, down the right down a pipe, right down Broadway, a perfect no lunging, no lack of form. Now, see, now you see that was all a plan. Now you see a perfect straight left hand with all the power. He can turn into it. He can pivot his foot. He can put his back into it. Now you see the form. Now you see that perfect straight down the middle, boom, left hand, and it almost knocks him out. All the credit to Edwards because he, does, he doesn't really see that. So all the credit to Edwards. He gets hurt bad and he survives it because of his character, because of his toughness, because of his mentality. He survives it. But both of them, both of them, I can't give enough. There was a book. A book was written in that fight. There was a book written in that fight. That was more than just 25 minutes. That, that was a lifetime. It was a lifetime of experience, of Nate Diaz using all that experience, all that punishment, all those punches, all those cuts, all that bleeding, everything that he had been through. He took all of it and he said, tonight, I'm going to be a little better. Tonight, I'm going to be a little different. Tonight, I have to against this guy who, as I said, is is a dependable, solid-as-hell guy that doesn't make mistakes, who's always set. He's like, in a way, the great Japanese world champion from several weight classes in boxing. Always balanced, always in position, never out of position, always ready to take advantage of a mistake. And Diaz, for all his chicanery, for all that looked like joking, looked like mugging, it looked like you know, circus stuff. It looked like having fun. No, it was all premeditated. It was all planned. And it all, all, every bit of it had a purpose to it. To keep Edwards just enough off balance where he could get to that fifth round. And then again, slap with the right hand, hits his left hand, slaps it, and then bang, a perfectly placed straight left hand. And you know what? He almost did pull it out of the fire. He almost did pull it out of the fire. Uh, tremendous. It was tremendous theater. It was tremendous effort. It was tremendous skills. It was tremendous mentalities. It was, it was great. It, it, it was great on, on every damn level. And I hope that I did them justice just now in the last 15 minutes of properly putting it forward to everybody out there that might have thought they just saw another tough Nate Diaz just walking you down. And he does, and he did, but it was more. It was more to Nate Diaz on Saturday night than that. And at the end of the day, like I had said on our last podcast last week, Ken, when we were addressing this upcoming fight, I said he's one of... He's one of those enigmas, Nate Diaz, one of those rarities that a guy that doesn't have to win to still be popular, to still get everybody to come out. Kind of like Arturo Gatti, kind of like Mike Tyson. There was, there was only very few of those guys that can lose fights and 
they're still going to fill a stadium. People are still going to love them, and they're still going to come out to see them. You know why? Because of the way they get it done, because of their style, because of how they bring it, and what they bring every time they're freaking. It doesn't come down to just winning and losing. It comes down to what they bring every time, and you know they're going to bring it, and you know you're going to love it. Hey guys, want to take a minute to give a shout out to our newest sponsor, Magic Spoon. Uh, As many of you know, I've been running competitively for the last few years. And uh, one of the things I've been trying to do in addition to a ton of training is eating healthy. Uh, I've been trying to cut down on carbs, sugar, basically all unhealthy foods. And recently was introduced to Magic Spoon. They've got zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. There's only 140 calories per bowl. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. I've been getting the variety packs. That's cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And recently, I've been mixing the uh, cocoa and peanut butter to create my own peanut butter cup cereal. And more important uh, than what I've been doing for myself is it's been a great source of a uh, reward for my children. I've been letting them have cereal every day. Typically, I try to limit their like sugary processed food intake. But with the addition or the introduction of Magic Spoon, the kids have been psyched because they've been eating cereal guilt-free or uh, at least um, not having to earn their bowl of cereal by doing a million chores around the house for me like they normally would have to do. So give these guys a try. Magic Spoon, try the variety pack. Um, use the promo code ATLAS, A-T-L-A-S. Go to magicspoon.com slash ATLAS to grab a variety pack and try it today. Again, use the promo code ATLAS at checkout to save $5 off your order. That's magicspoon.com slash ATLAS. Use promo code ATLAS to save 5 bucks on your first order. Speaking of guys that always bring it, next up we had Davidson Figueredo and Brandon Moreno, the new Mexican flyweight champ Brandon Moreno what an awesome performance he put on my god I had said to you uh and Rob on text that I'm I'm starting to like Moreno more and more given the how close the first fight was and then the the shoving at the um weigh-in or the face-off out of character for Figueredo then it took him to the last minute to make weight I said oh this this looks like it's set up perfectly for Moreno and my god he went out there and put on an awesome performance and got the job done submitted an incredible Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt how'd you like that one oh tremendous tremendous Ken Ken I just want to for two seconds go back to the Nate Diaz fight if you don't mind because that's why I of course why I got all this paper because it's not just for looks it's to make notes and to make sure I don't forget something and I still forget but I can catch it and I can look I just want to make note I was so frustrated doing that Nate Diaz fight in the fifth round I was tweeting like a madman and I couldn't get him up quick enough because my feed my feed I don't know if this happens to you I mean you probably have your own private satellite so it probably don't happen (laughs) you know (laughs) <laughs> I wish I had my own. I love you, Ken. I, I love you. And I, I wish I had my own private satellite, but I don't. And so I had to, you know, I, I had to, you know, be at, uh, you know, the mercy of, of like the regular people, you know, out there. And so. Well, at least people see your tweets. Mine just go into the ether. No one really responds. So satellite be damned. No, they love your tweets. So I, <laughs> I'm trying to get, and the, and the damn, the feed is going in and out. It's stopping. I got to reboot. I got to start. Oh, my 
goodness. I don't know if any other people had that problem with the UFC feed that <laughs> night, but I don't know. But I sure as hell did. And so anyway, I'm trying to get him up real quick. And I'm watching the fifth round. And, you know, those guys, the broadcasters are tremendous because they're touching on things I just touched on here and there, Rogan and, and, and you know, all of them. I mean, they're, they're just tremendous. They really are. And he was with uh, he was with Anik and Paul Felder. Yeah, Paul Felder was replacing DC. Uh, usually, it's the and Anik, of course. Yep. It's just he's like Edwards. He's steady. He's steady. He's always there. You steady. know, always there. Always reliable. And he's a Boston guy, oh, so you well, know he's tough, yeah. smart, all those things. Yeah, of course. John Anik. No, of course that goes that goes without saying. <laughs> and and uh, Mario Rivera, boy, he beat those Red Sox. He, he really beat them. Uh, he really used to handle them. Anyway, I I, I digress. Um, so I'm watching it and it's the fifth round and I've been talking about how Diaz trying to give him credit for what he's been doing all night long. Like there's a method to his madness. That's what I'm trying to say. And I am saying it. And now I see what he's going to do. I just see it. I said, oh my goodness, I see what's going to happen here. He's going to use all this now in the fifth round. He's, he's going to use the hand movement to, to distract diversion, uh, a little diversary uh, move here where he's going to do something to get a punch in because he knows he's at that point. He needs to land one big shot. So I tweeted that he that this is... This is no, there's a method to the madness that this is not clowning now. This is, this is planned to try to set up a big, to distract Edwards for long enough to set up one last go, one last shot here. And sure enough, all of a sudden, bang! And I'm saying, oh my God. I, oh, I was right. You know, I'm not right too often, uh, but I was right. And so I'm trying. And then I hear Joe Rogan say, well, nobody, nobody, that, nobody saw that coming except Diaz. And I wanted to, well, I did. I screamed out, Joe, I saw it coming. I, <laughs> I, I, I saw it coming. And then, of course, now I can't see nothing because my, my feed is going out again. <laughs> so on top I can't and my feed's going out and it's blurry and it's go and it's frozen. <laughs> I mean and I'm like, oh God, I saw it coming. So I'm trying to and I'm driving poor Rob crazy because I'm sending my tweets to him and I'm trying to get it up and poor Rob he's saying, Well, in other words, he's being very polite, but in other words, a couple of seconds went by so now it's a little late so can i i have to change obviously the some of the language of it now oh i was gonna i thought i was saying whatever he had to change the tense the tense uh, uh, of it now you know so he's doing that and uh it was very frustrating when you finally know that you know something that you feel that you're on something and and you can't quite get it across on time uh you know and and it happens and you're there like oh you know you want to you want to take a listen i don't think this is I'm, I'm honest about my feelings and stuff well i don't think it's it's the worst thing you want to take a bow <laughs> you know you know what i mean like you know i know it's wrong to be you can't be conceited and you can't be that and you can't you you can't be you know, uh, that person, uh, you know, I, I, and I 
try to God, I'm, I'm not that person. I don't have a right to be that person. I don't have enough ability to be that person. So I'm not that person. But every once in a while, when you get something right, you do kind of want to say, hey, hey, you see that? You see that kid? <laughs> yeah, got it. You know, you see that kid? So anyway, getting back to the, the Marino uh, Figueroa fight, uh, Ken, you know, kind of like the Diaz fight in some ways. I got to give so much credit to Marino because he knew what he was in there with. You're supposed to know, but he did. You're supposed to be prepared. He was prepared. Uh, he was better prepared than Figueroa. Maybe, maybe because Figueroa uh, kept his title. You know, the last fight they had a draw. He kept his title, so it felt like a win. Maybe he didn't feel like he had to change anything. Marino felt like he did. Marino felt like there had to be some adjustments here. And he, uh, put it this way, I'm not saying Figueroa didn't do that or didn't have that mentality being a champion. He's great. Uh, but Marino showed more that he did deal with it on a certain higher level maybe of knowing that he, his approach had to be very definitive very disciplined and had to be exactly what it needed to be. He knew that he was in there with a dangerous guy, a dangerous guy. So he was on point and he took the attitude. He took the approach. He took the game plan because you have to have a game plan. His game plan was this rather than lay back and be too cautious where, but he was cautious. Teddy, did you just contradict yourself? No, I know exactly what I'm saying. He, a lot of people said he was more aggressive. Yeah, but in a cautious, aggressive way, a smart, aggressive way where he knew he had to be in charge. He had to be in control. He knew that the guy was very, as I just said, dangerous, Ken. So what do you do? You really have a couple options, maybe two. You lay back, you, you lay back and you're real cautious. You're, or, or, and this is the or. He took the oar. You press the fight in a very controlled, aggressive, but controlled, cautious, smart manner. And you get, you get just to the edge of the cliff. You get just to that point where something's going to happen, where you're forcing the other guy to do something. In this case, you're forcing him to make a mistake. You're forcing him to throw a punch. And then you either counter it or you beat him to the mark. Oh my God, it was brilliant. He, he knew he had a dangerous guy in front of him. And what he did was he pressed it. He wasn't going to wait for that danger to come and find him on its terms. He was going to go and he was going to disarm that danger on his terms. He was going to deal with that danger head on on his terms where he had a better shot, where he caught the shot, where he was in control. So what he did was, yeah, he was more aggressive. He pressed the fight and he forced Moreno to do something. He fought, I'm sorry, he fought Figueroa to do something. So he pressed and he forced Figueroa to, to pull that gun out of the holster where, and he was ready to beat him to it. But he knew by putting that pressure on him that he might get him to do something, not erratic, but maybe a little bit off. Maybe a little, I hate to use this word, sloppy, but maybe a little bit less 
than what it would have been if he didn't put that pressure on him. So what does he do? He puts the pressure on him, Ken, in the first round with it doing all striking, standing up. That set the that that set the tempo for everything. That's that set the night. And he's pressing him and he gets Figueroa to lead with a left hook. You're never supposed to lead with left hooks in front of a guy. You know why? Because straight right hands can beat it. Because they taught you in school, if you were paying attention a little bit, they taught you in geometry class in school that a straight line is the quickest way to a point. And a straight right hand gets there faster than a hook. So he forces Figueroa in that first round to start to throw a wide left hook. And what does he do? He doesn't throw the straight right hand. He throws as an option, a straight jab. And you know when a straight jab can be like a right hand? Well, when your feet are under it, when you're set, when you're you're balanced, and when you get there right to the mark, right on the point of the chin, and when you beat a guy to it, and he timed it perfect. He gets the left hook to start coming, and bang, a straight jab. He's, He's sitting down nice, boom. A straight left jab, and it it drops him. It catches him. Perfect. And a lot of people say, oh, he only dropped him with a jab. Forget it. Forget it. Might as well be a right hand. That's a solid punch that the the guy doesn't even see it coming because he's throwing his left hook. He's so concentrated because of the pressure coming at him. He's so focused, dealing. He's so controlled by that pressure that he's, he doesn't want the guy to get a hold of him, so he, he, he throws a punch that he normally might not throw. So that he's feeling the pressure, so what does he do? He reacts with a left hook, a fat left hook, and a straight jab right on the chin, solid with his legs under him. It hurts him. It sets the tempo, the mental tempo, the physical tempo for the whole night. And and all because he understood that this day, you know what he did? I'm gonna I'm gonna take it to another place now, where a lot of people they're gonna say, "Wow, really?" Uh, because they think this word's not allowed to be used, and they're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. He, Marino, used his fear. Yeah, everyone's got it. Everyone's got it. I'm not saying he was scared. This is a whole different ball game. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, it's not about being scared. He uses fear, what, what everyone has, what nature gives everyone, that ability to be alert, to know that something could be dangerous, to know that you got to be on your P's and Q's, to know that you have to be ready for your adrenaline to be at its highest pitch, but under control, where everything is there. Your senses, everything is right there the way it's got to be. He used that. He used his fear. You're not supposed to let your fear use you. As, as a great, my great mentor, Customato, used to say over and over, Teddy, Teddy Atlas, remember, fear is like fire. When you learn to use it and control it, it can heat for you. It can cook for you. It can do wonderful things for you. But when you let it be out of control, it can consume you and everything around you. So true. So true. And Marino took that fear, whatever you want to call it, that, that, that edge, that what nature puts there to prepare us for something that could be dangerous. And he used it. And he, he went after this guy in a controlled way, 
knowing the guy was so dangerous, so freaking dangerous, where I'm going to force this guy to do things he don't want to do, but I'm going to be the one forcing it. I'm going to be the one in control. I'm going to be the one calling the shots. When and where? And sure enough, he got on the edge of the cliff. He, he pressed the guy. He forced the guy to throw a punch. Uh, felt that pressure. He threw a white punch. Bang! He hits him, with, a, he hits him with, the, with the jab, and he drops him. That was the whole night. Then the second round, what happens to the second round? Now it goes to a different place, to a different geography. Now it goes to the mat. Now it goes to the floor. But the same approach, the same mentality. He knows that he's dangerous on the floor too. He knows Marino's dangerous. He knows the other guy's dangerous. They're both dynamic athletes. They're, they're both explosive athletes. He understands this. So he's, so he's so ready. He gets on the floor and soon as the other guy overreacts, just a little bit, just a little bit on one of the positions on the floor, bang! He mounts the guy, he jumps him, and he gets himself into that position where he's got the, the, the upper hand where he can submit him. He's got him in a submissive position. But that's what it was. He, he forced the guy to make a mistake, to, to overplay one of the moves on the floor, one of his positions on the floor, just a little bit. And listen, I know Marino's quick, but he was so quick this night. I know they're both quick, but it was more than just being quick physically. It was more than that, Ken. He was mentally quick. He knew what he had to be. He soon as on the floor, just like standing, just like the striking, soon as he on the floor got him to make a mistake, got him to overcommit a little bit, Whap! He was like a he, he was like a panther on a gazelle. He really <laughs> went whap right around, got him by the juggler, just like that. Whap! Or, or he, just one little mistake. He knew exactly what he wanted, exactly what he was looking for, and he, he just acted on it. The moment it was time to act on it. He 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 got a little bit of a an advantage, and boom. He was so fast to mount, to, to make that move, to get his legs in position, to get his arm in position, to get his body in position, to get him into a position where he could submit him. It was brilliant. There was no accidents about it. It wasn't just about his athletic ability. It was about his mental ability. Yes, his athletic ability, yes, but his mental ability to be in charge, to take that car and drive it the way it was supposed to be driven. You could have a Ferrari, and if you got the wrong guy driving it, like me, it ain't going to look like a Ferrari going down the road, okay? But if you got the right guy driving it, it's going to perform like a Ferrari. And he drove it. He drove it. Oh, my goodness. It was, again, again, just like I broke down the Diaz purposely, so I just want people to appreciate what these guys are doing. I appreciate so much uh, what he did and what he did to a dangerous, dangerous fighter. Yeah, and it was awesome to see his unbridled enthusiasm at the end. My God, such emotion. It was awesome to see. Yeah, it really, it really was, Ken. Uh, it was pure. It was great. It was tremendous. Uh, it was, I mean, the first Mexican-born UFC world champion ever 
You know, it, it's hard to believe, but then you got to remind yourself that the MMA hasn't been around as long as boxing. You know, you got to remind yourself because in a, in a country where there's such a, such a steep history and tradition of great, great boxing world champions, I mean, it's part of their culture. It's part of their tradition. It's, it is their, part of their tradition. I mean, there's such a great, history of these world champion fighters in boxing in Mexico that for a split second you might say wow that's the f- he's the first one but yeah of course he is because MMA's not around as long and there's a reason for it and all the concentration with the Mexican fighters have been up until you know recent years boxing that's where the history is that's where the tradition is that's where the concentration is and boy do they have some great fighters and now they have a great mma champion yep congratulations to moreno and i know rob's working on coordinating schedules to get him on to speak with us hopefully we'll get that opportunity in the coming week um that brings us to the main event Israel Adesanya pitches a shutout, wins all five rounds against Martin Vittori, does it like what you described earlier with Nate Diaz. He was just steady. Like, oh, sorry, Leon Edwards, just steady, workmanlike, no mistakes, flawless performance. He won every single round. Um, congratulations to Izzy. I love, we'd love to talk to him again. But um, what'd you like in that fight? You know, I, I like that he came back to the Izzy of being loose and reactive and instinctive and athletic and special. Now listen, he was in there with Blahovich. Am I pronouncing it right in his last fight? Jan Blahovich, uh, yep. Yeah, um, he was in the, listen, I wanna make this clear. Not only was he in there with a bigger guy, he was in there with a guy that knew what the hell he was doing and striking on the floor everywhere. And he had a big advantage on the floor on the mat, you know, over at Asanya. But he knew how to get to geography, Blahovich that he needed on that night and he knew how to handle himself in the striking he wasn't just a strong guy he was a big strong talented well-prepared technically solid smart guy too and um Adesanya wasn't able to be himself he 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 wasn't able to quite be, maybe he was a little off that night, maybe I shouldn't even say that, whatever, because I don't want to take anything away from Blahovich. But I said that last week, that I I thought that Adesanya, you know, you, you worry a little bit about coming down in the weight, just like John Ruiz uh, fight with Roy Jones. Roy Jones went up, he won the heavyweight title, he went up from light heavyweight, then he came back down and it affected him, and it physically affected him a little bit. Some people thought that Roy Jones was never the same fighter. I was, I was, I touched on that because it's my job to touch on that. But then at the end of the day, when you asked me who to take, I'm, I said I'm taking out of Sanya. I, I think he'll get back. I think he'll get back to, to him, and he was back to him. That that explosive, um, loose, make it up as you do it, reactive guy that needs a little space, and he got the space he needed. See, he's at his best when you give him a little space to do his thing. You give him a little space, Ken, and he uses that space so well, and he uses it in two ways, where you have to be pretty special to do that, kind of like a Manny Pacquiao, where... 
Pacquiao, when he had that space, he would close that gap so fast you couldn't do a damn thing about it. Really. He'd run those red lights and there was no ticket being given out. You know, uh, he'd get away with it. Well, the guys couldn't get away with it because it was Manny Pacquiao because he had that kind of ability. Well, Adesanya is Adesanya. And when he has that space, he's got two options where if you wait on him, which is going to happen because you think, okay, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to be sloppy. I don't want to walk into a counter. So let me be controlled. Let me be patient, right? Let me be, you know, let me be the pro I have to be contained here. And then while you're being that, he beats you to the punch with that space. He closes that space with his legs, with his hands, and he and he beats you to it. So if you're laying back and you're trying to be that deliberate, patient guy, that responsible guy, and you're doing that game, you're playing that game, it ain't working without Asanya because now he beats you to it. And that's what he did. And then Paul Fattori, and I could understand his frustration, and he showed. He got frustrated at the end when he didn't want to, you know, capitulate or he didn't want to, you know, shake hands properly. Well, it's not because he's a bad guy. He was frustrated at the end of the night. He didn't want to say that he lost. So he didn't. he's a proud guy. He's a warrior, just like Adesanya, just like all these guys. And Adesanya's a class act. I really like him. I really like him. But forget about his fighting ability. I like him as a person and for what he is and, and how he... How, how he goes about being who he is, how he conducts himself, how he carries himself. But I'll get more to that at the end. What, what happened with Fattori was frustration written on it all night, all night, because of what I'm talking about. Because when there's that little space, now if he lays back and he's trying to figure it out, he's trying to be smart, he's trying to be deliberate, he gets beat to the punch, and he did. He gets beat. Then he says, okay, now I got to be more aggressive. Okay. And then when you're more aggressive, you get counted. So damn if you do, damn if you don't. When he's right, it's, it's rough. And sure enough, that's what the night was, rough. It was rough. All night. It was frustrating. All night. Because he laid back trying to get it together. <laughs> he, yeah. he, he, he beats him to it. And then, then all of a sudden he starts coming. All right, I've got to press. My corner just told me. I heard the corner. You heard the corner. Come on, you got to get doing. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why don't you try fighting the guy? That's what he's probably thought about. You know, but, he, but he's not. He, because the corner's doing their job. They're, they're, they're doing what they got to do. But still, still. It ain't so easy. So now he tries to press, and what happened? Pop, pop, pop. He gets counted. So it was a, it was rough. Uh, the the styles made it rough. The ability and the togetherness too. That even when you put pressure on Adesanya, you know he keeps it together because he's mentally the right deal too. Besides physically and technically being who he is, um, I I thought he did a, I thought he did a tremendous job. Uh, a great job, uh, Vittori. To his credit, he 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 tried. It, it was desperate though. But Ken, he tried to change the geography. He knew at some point he couldn't win standing up on the outside with those gaps, with that space I just described. He knew he couldn't win a fight that way. So he tried to get to where he had the edge, where he thought he would have the edge. Physicality, in close, get on the mat, you know, and um be able to be the better guy there. Uh, take away some of the things that he was dealing with on the feet. You know, again, change the geography, get a takedown, uh, getting, you know, get him on a mat and be able to use his abilities, you know, his strength and his abilities there. And he desperately tried, um, to his credit, to shoot for the takedowns, you know, to do that. Um, but 
uh, to the credit of Adesanya. He was tremendous at either preventing the takedowns or escaping them. You know, escapability, baby. You know, the great quarterbacks, escapability. You know, John Elway, all those guys, escapability. Even your guy. Oh, he's not your guy no more. Uh, Brady. But, <laughs> but you know, he, he didn't my have. My new guy, Mac Jones. Oh, Mac Jones. Yeah, he's going to be great. My son loves Mac Jones, by the way. The, my son, of course, is the assistant uh, director of scouting for the Raiders. And, um, and he, he thinks Jones is going to be, you know what? I, I, I mean, this is blasphemy. It's going to sound like blasphemy. But uh, he actually said he's, uh, he's Tom Brady. I know that's crazy. Nobody's Tom. I get it. I get it. But that's how much he likes the guy. He said, this guy is cerebral. This guy is good in the pocket. He's calm. He's accurate. He's smart. Um, anyway, he, he, he likes the guy. He, he, uh, there was a lot of good quarterbacks, obviously. But he, but he likes him a lot too. And, um, but anyway, getting back to this, uh, give credit, really. Um, give credit to the escapability, uh, the preparation it takes to be ready that Adesanya was to either uh, prevent, the, you know, prevent the takedown or escape the takedown when they, when they took place and got back to his feet. And then back in charge to you know to his to to where he wanted to be doing his thing. So a lot of crowd again. Vittori was frustrating, uh, a little desperate. He was in a desperate way trying to get him to the mat, but it was all he could do. And uh, Adesanya was prepared for that thing, that part of it. He wouldn't let it happen. Uh, he's a special athlete, uh, as I said. He's mentally special. Uh, where he's so smart and he's in control, he's confident, he's instinctual, he controls his range well. Uh, as I said, he beats you both ways. You come in by, he counters. If you lay back, you know, looking to time him, he uses quickness to still, you know, do what he's got to do and uh, close the gap and get to you. I, I'll finish with this. I like Adesanya as a person. Um, remembering... Just what he did at the end there, uh, standing, and just just what he was doing the the interview at the end, and with Joe Rogan, and he was remembering and standing up, and making a statement about his poor friend who was murdered in New Zealand. I believe it was in New Zealand. Uh, terrible, just terrible, terrible. You know, guy went up behind him and hits him from behind where you don't even see it. And he falls and he hits his head on the ground and dies. You know, that's a that's foul, foul vodka. Uh, in New Zealand, this happened. Yeah, he was part of their team at um, City Kickboxing with Gene Behrman and 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 Izzy and his whole team. Yeah, condolences to the foul vodka family. I. I I just love Izzy, the way he stands up for his friend, the way he made a statement, the way he would not forget. Um, he He's a, listen, I just think he's a terrific person. Um, obviously, he's, he's a great fighter. Um, I I know, you know, I know that, uh, I know at the end there, you know, he used some language that wasn't the greatest language. But you know what? It was it's in the moment after <laughs> after a fight. It's in the moment. It's not like it's when kids are hanging out like in a party. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. it, it was in the moment. It was in a fight. I'm making no excuses. But it's in the moment in a fight arena. Uh, <laughs> and 
it's within the realm of of what it is and you know so he's used a couple curse words but at at the end of the day again it's within the realm that he can use that uh you don't have to but you could understand it and again he's not doing it you know he's not doing it in a place that uh is the i'm not saying any place is the right place but he's not doing it at a place where it's definitely the the wrong place and he's he's doing it because he's proud and he's passionate about what he does you know he was he was he was a little insulted that that Valoria and I understand um the frustration in Vittori I understand it very well and I think I described it very well but his pride Adesanya like all these guys he's a proud guy and you know he he wanted some some kind of you know admission I guess that hey tonight I was better you know uh, congratulations he doesn't want you to go on your knees but he just he, he wants that kind of some kind of respect of of that sort of of that kind of uh on his own volition where the guy's admitting hey tonight i i i'm i was the better guy for a lot of different reasons but i was the better guy and the side of the side of uh Adesanya of that proud guy you can't be that proud guy and not sometimes have those feelings and that it comes out that way that's part of being that proud guy that's uh, and i think he's a classy guy that's why i'm explaining it this way because a lot of people say classy but he said that yeah he's a classy guy uh the way he conducts himself and and i think most of these guys that i see in the ufc they all are they all are, they're, they're savages like my son says you know when he when he's describing to me these these football players these athletes uh you know in in a complimentary way in that world he says that these guys are savages you know some places it might not be complimentary there it's complimentary these guys are they're savages and these ufc guys just like the great fighters the great bo- they're savages and they're but they're proud warriors they're smart and um respectful and i I find them to be special, and I find out Asanya to be that, as I find so many of them, Holloway, all of them, uh, uh, Poirier, our guy, just, just uh, so, so many of them, um, uh, and Ganyu, uh, you know, just one after another, uh, they're, they're special. Yep. Well, that was an awesome night from the UFC. It looks like Izzy wants uh, Bobby Whitaker next, so that'll be an interesting fight to see. Um, let's touch quickly on some boxing news. Uh, heralded prospect Shakur Stevenson was in action this weekend against Jeremiah Nakatila from Namibia. And, uh, you know, I think most people look, were looking for Shakur to kind of get him out of there in a hurry. And he, he did win probably every single round, I think, won a unanimous decision. But even Shakur himself said he wasn't happy with the performance i know you've had a chance to look at the fight or at least some of the highlights what'd you think what, what were your takeaways from uh shakur's performance you know shakur is a silver medalist so you know he knows how to fight he probably had 200 amateur fights i don't know exactly how many but uh i know the realm i know where he comes from i i know what goes into that you know starting when you're 10 years old 11 years old whatever whatever age it was and 
you get to a silver medal, you have talent. You're a fighter, and you could fight because you're you're fighting the best fighters in the world. Maybe they're three round fights. So what? They're the best fighters in the world, and you're fighting them for years up to the, you know, leading up to the Olympics internationally. <coughs> so you already have put yourself in a certain category that you know what the hell you're doing, and he knows what the hell he's doing. And then it's a matter of how you do it and, uh, and all the other parts. And he reminds me of a guy, I used to say this on ESPN sometimes, like a cake where, and I'm no chef, I'm no baker, but I, I'm, where you see the cake and it's beautiful, it's, it's, it's perfect. And you cut it open to take a piece of it and it's perfect the way it cuts, the way it lays, the way it looks. Oh, my God. You're, you know, you're, you're drooling to get a piece of it. And then you bite into it. And it's not that it's bad, but it's missing something. You ever have that experience, Ken? Where it's, you know, where it's just, it's just, mis- it's, go ahead, Ken. Go ahead, you, uh, I see that I have smile. It. I have it with my wife's. Be careful. I have it. Be I have careful. That with my wait, wife's, wait. With, <laughs> with my wife's cooking sometimes, but I dare not. I made the mistake once or twice of saying something's missing in this, and she was like, "You, why don't you make it be the next careful, time, and you won't Ken. forget anything?" So then I, now it could be a chicken pot oh, pie too with no chicken, and I'm like, "Oh, this late. is the best! Oh, the chicken's so good!" <laughs> as soon as this comes, you're done. It's all. It's, oh yeah. You, you gotta, oh, I've been done for a long time. She knows. It's done, Ken. Get those <laughs> menus out and start thinking of where you're gonna order. <laughs> <laughs> really, really, really. I know you got a few menus hidden away somewhere, the fast food, whatever. Get, get them out and start figuring out. Get the phone numbers memorized um, and start getting ready to make those calls. Listen, it's like the movie 300. Remember in that movie 300 where the messenger comes uh, comes to Sparta? He, he comes there to meet the great uh, United... Uh, what, what was the great uh, warrior, Aronitis? Was it Aranitis? Yeah, yeah, Aranitis. I think it was Aranitis. But anyway, great warrior, you know. And um, so the guy, the messenger, goes there to Sparta. Goes inside the great walls of Sparta, and he's talking. He's bringing a message, and just when he's about to say something, Leonidas. Leonidas. Thank you, Ken. Leonidas. And just when he's about. Just thank you, Rob. Just when he's about to say something, Leonidas says, remember now, watch your words. Be very thoughtful of your words. You're in Sparta. A man must be responsible and held responsible for their words in Sparta. Unlike some other places in the world, (laughs) but in Sparta, watch what you're about to say. And he said the wrong things, and he got pushed down that hole. <laughs> he, got, he got, you know, it was a hole that never ended. You know, where he and you, ah, and you know, just he's still falling. He's still falling. I would just say it's already too late. I hope you don't get pushed down that hole, Ken. You gotta watch your words when you're in Sparta, or when you're when you're in a marriage. That's true. Watch your words. <laughs> so, listen. I'm not knocking. Shakur Stevenson in any way. I just went through the trouble of saying he's special. Uh, a guy that can win a silver medal in Olympics can get to that level. Um, I think he lost to the Cuban. The, they, they're the top team in amateurs. 
Uh, you you are special. You're damn good at what you do. But you're also attached to your style. Styles make fights. Styles make for for people that are loved by the masses. Styles make. There's a reason why you know Tyson's style uh, made people love him because he knocked guys out. He had the power. He was aggressive. You know that was part of it. That was part of it. Arturo Gatti, aggressive, good puncher. That's part of it. Now listen, I know there's there's so many different styles. Uh, Stevenson is, if I was to use an analogy in another sport in baseball, he's the quintessential, quintessential pitcher. He's the great pitcher that doesn't have a fastball that blows you away, but he's got great control uh, and... He he mixes it up, and he disarms you. He disarms you. And you could be Babe Ruth up there. And sometimes he's either going to disarm Babe Ruth or Hank Aaron or whoever you want to put forward as the great hitter. Uh, he, he knows how to change the speeds. and But a lot of people, he, they appreciate it, but they might not come out to the, to the ball fields to see that. They might come out there to see Hank Aaron. They might come out there to see Babe Ruth. They might come out to see Willie Mays. Because they come out, they they want to see the action. They want to see the home runs. And listen, again, nobody's got to explain to me the greatness in being able to disarm somebody, whether it's at a baseball diamond, disarm the guy that's standing at the plate, take the bat out of his hands, or do it in a ring. Nobody's got to tell me how great that is and how special that is and how difficult that is. I get it. I get it. But I also get the idea that fans are drawn by action. And if you want to be a superstar, and look, they're, the promoter Bob Aram is putting them forward as their superstar. He's, he's one of the main guys that they're putting forward, that they're looking out for they're picking his fights they're protecting him they're doing you know and he don't need a lot of protection he could beat he could beat a lot of good fighters but they're going to control who he fights and obviously he's their guy he's one of their he's one of their he's one of their marquee guys that they're gonna that they're gonna put forward as telling the audience we got him telling their executives that give them the money uh, at at ESPN, we got this guy. He, he's 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 one of the one of their faces, you know. Along with Crawford, you know, there are other guys. Of course, they got Fury now. They gave him a hundred million dollars a couple of years ago to sign up. They got him, but he's one of the guys that they put forward as the face of their promotional company. What you're gonna get, and they're gonna do everything to t- take care of him. And so he's he's got the best of everything. And as I said, there's nothing he really does wrong. But part of what makes you you in anything is not just your physical talents, but it's your temperament. It's, it's your mindset. You know, it's what you are. It's you. I mean, it, it, it's it's the core of what you are, how you think, what you believe in. And no matter how you look at it, 
there's no arguing that for the speed, he's got good speed. He's technically so solid. He can he can go get you. He can counter. He can do all those things. He knows everything, and he's a southpaw. He knows everything in the ring, should cause Stevenson. But his temperament is to be cautious. His temperament is to be careful. That's what it is. That's what it is. There's no getting around that. And sometimes, sometimes people don't want to Mark on their calendar to watch a guy who's careful. Yeah, again, they applaud, they recognize what, but that doesn't mean that that's what they want to sit down for an hour and watch. A guy who is careful, a guy who's cautious, smart. I'm not knocking him. Uh, smart, you know, he, he's aggressive in a proper way when he has to be, but also a with a cautious tone to it, a smart tone to it. Hey, listen, somebody could argue right now in the middle of this, hey, Teddy, it worked pretty good for Floyd Mayweather. He had that kind of temperament. Yes, it did, but he was fighting better fighters. He was taking risks with those better fighters. Uh, maybe it is still comfort. For, it's still, there's still plenty of time. I get it. I get it. He's a little limited there of fighting those kind of fighters, though, because being in the stable of, of top rank, not much different than PPC. I'm not picking them out. I'm just saying, you're, you're only going to fight the guys that they control. The guys that they can control, you know, uh, the promotion. They can control, you know, win or lose. They, they got the guy. So they're going to pick guys that are under their control. And, and some of those guys are not the guys that are going to give you the greatest test or, the, or what we're talking about where the fan would say, okay, there's a risk here. Um, they're not going to give you those kind of guys because those guys are with somebody else. They're, they're going to keep you within, they're going to keep you fighting the kind of guys that are going to protect their, their marquee, one of their marquee guys and the kind of guys that they have control over. Um, so, you know, eventually you hope that he gets to a, a fight that's different, but on a whole, that's the environment. That's the reality. That's the truth of it. That's the realm that you're playing in. Yeah. And, of course, if you're watching it on a network, they're going to do what a network's going to do that has that fighter. Uh, especially, you know, in this case, even more so. Andre Ward is part of the management, right? He, uh, I believe, or at least he used to be, uh, part of the management, which, of course, Stevenson, he's one of the commentators. So, so look, you're going to, he deserves glowing reviews. I'm not saying he don't, but you're going to get, you're going to get uh, just glowing reviews for the most part and probably not touching on any of the things I'm touching on. And if you're a fan, you're, you're probably going to say, hey, I, I, I can think for myself. You know, I can see that, you know, he's still not taking the chances that maybe I want to see my fighter. And, and listen, how dare you say that a guy should take chances? I, I understand that too. But that is part of taking the time to watch whether you're paying for pay-per-view, whether you're just sitting down on cable, whether you're buying a ticket to go there. You want to see what, for the most part, some kind of chance that a guy can lose, that a guy can have to prove himself to you, to 
that a guy can find a way to to overcome something. You almost get the feeling, and again, this is nothing but a really a compliment to Stevenson, that he's too perfect, that everything said about him, that all you hear, it's it's too perfect. It, it, it's and, and well, if it's that perfect, then why am I not getting excited? Like like maybe. You know, and it's great to be a perfectionist. And it looks like the kid is a perfectionist. That is part of his mentality to go with his great talent. That is part of it. But we're not perfect creatures. None of us. You maybe. You 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 close. But but for the rest of us, no, we're we're not perfect. And I think people wanna see sometimes a guy who's not perfect to see how he handle it. Just like they have to handle it when they're not perfect. And you're not getting that with Stevenson. I think that's I think the way I described it, there's a lot of things going on there, a lot of moving parts, but I think that's part of it. Uh that you know, he's so perfect. He never gets scratched, you know. <laughs> that um after a while, you know, perfect becomes boring. And and again, a lot of people say, Oh, Gee, you're saying his style was boring. Well, what was Mayweather's style? Yeah, but when he fought Madonna, there were moments. You know, when he fought De La Hoya, there were moments where he he had to navigate that turf, where he had to get it to the inside because on the outside, the long jab of 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 De La Hoya was winning the rounds and could win the fight. And you know, he had to deal with those and overcome those things. He hasn't had to do that yet, for the most part. And maybe when he does, it'll change the landscape on thinking on this. Yeah. But I, I, a good fighter, good, good fighter, knows what the hell he's doing. You know, he can fight inside if he wants, but his inclination is to be what he is, which is a, a careful guy. And, and, that, and that's made yeah. him undefeated. That's made him a silver medalist. It's, it's you know... Um, it's it's made him all those things, but I don't know if it'll make him to that level that he's thinking of, and that the people around him, when they see the talent, I don't know if it makes him that. I, I don't know. That's going to be up to the people. Yeah. Well, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about on Saturday afternoon, I was watching a card on the Zone from um, UK. There was a British fighter, Louis Ritson, fighting a guy named Jeremias Ponce from Argentina, and Ponce was slowly breaking him down and started to put on him. I forget the exact round, but he was hitting him with big body shots. He dropped him once or twice, and after let's say the second, maybe the second knockdown in the round. He hit him with a body shot. The guy took a knee. Whether he took a knee or got knocked down, either or. The corner for Ritson, the British fighter, throws in the corner, and Rob's pulling it up now for people watching on YouTube. He goes down, the corner throws in the towel. Let's see, wait for it, see it here. So you see they get in an exchange here, Ritson, boom. The towel comes in, the ref looks at the towel. Both fighters are looking at the, at the corner who threw in the towel, and the ref says, no, 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 it's not over, keep fighting. And a few seconds later here, you'll see... Um, the ref picks up the towel. Right now, they're standing on top of the towel, still fighting. Everyone in the in the arena, the ref, the fighters, they've all acknowledged it. The ref here picks up the towel, throws it out of the ring, and right there, he gets ritzing, gets dropped again, and the ref waves it off. When I first saw it, and and and, and I'll I'll read. There's an explanation after the ref says he went into the into the locker room and said, "I didn't want to stop it because you were only taking body shots and you looked and you looked okay." 
Um, but when I first saw it, I, I've, I'd never seen that before where the ref refuses to stop. That was his trainer and also his dad who threw in the towel. Have you ever seen that where the ref throws, someone throws in the towel and the ref refuses to stop the fight? Yes. And I guess further proof that I've been around 400 years. Um, <laughs> I hate to, hate to offer that proof, but you forced me to. <laughs> but yes, I, yes, I have. And, and I've seen the same thing. I've seen actually uh, refs pick it up and throw it out. And, uh, and, and the fight continues. And there's a reason for it. Uh, one, in some places, there's actually a rule that you can't throw a towel in. A lot of people think you'll, you just throw a towel in. I get it. But there's actually a rule in, in many places with the commission where you're not allowed to throw a towel. You could get up. If you want to stop the fight, you're supposed to either get the doctor's attention or you could get up on a ring apron with the towel in your hand and, and get the referee's attention that you want to stop the fight, but you can't throw it in. And, and I guess the reason for that rule is that the, theoretically it could be a distraction. You throw the towel in and all of a sudden, you know, of the fighter looks, one of the fighters looks, sees the towel, and then all of a sudden they get hit and it changes the course of the fight. So I kind of understand that rule a little bit. Um, uh, you know, I'm not saying I would obey it if I was in that position because obviously you you want to you want to stop the fight immediately and you don't want to risk any more time going by and you figure the easiest way and the traditional way the way you've always thought was the way to do it was to throw a towel in uh, and get the referee's attention and get the damn thing stopped. So uh, yeah, I've seen it before and I I understand the reason for it as I just explained. Uh, I. You know, when I saw it and I watched the replay because you brought it to my attention and you sent it to me, when I watched the replay of it, the funny thing about it was just before the towel came in, um, actually, Ridson landed a, a, I think it was a counter left hook, but he landed a good punch. It was funny. He had landed, he, listen, where the towel came from was the direction of where Ritson's back was. So it's very possible that his corner didn't even see the punch landed because they were seeing the back of their fighter, Ritson. But Ritson on the replay had landed a left hook. And then what's the name of the other fighter? Ponce. Ponce? Yeah, Argentinian. Then Ponce, yeah, Ponce drove him to the ropes and then landed some body shots, as you said, you know, went back into, you know, doing his thing and being in control. But before they went there, again, before they went to the ropes, Ritson had landed a left hook, and I found it curious. I said to myself, gee, Ritson just landed a left hook, and now comes the towel. I wonder if his corner saw that the left hook was landed there. And I wonder if the referee saw it, and he probably did, and I'm saying to myself, maybe that's why he didn't stop it, because he saw that it, it wasn't all one-sided, where Ritson was still firing back, he still landed a punch, and he wanted to give him an opportunity, you know, a further opportunity, because in, in his mind, you know, as the referee, and, and maybe seeing something that the corner didn't see, he sees the punch landed, he sees there's still a chance, and he wants to give the fighter that chance. So 
I'm not trying to protect the referee by any means, but I'm trying to give an explanation to what might have been the reason behind what we saw. Yeah, and the ref apparently after the fight, he went in the, into the locker room to explain to Ritson why he didn't stop the fight. And he said that because they were body shots, he didn't think that he needed to stop it. And um, if they were headshots, he would have let it continue. But uh, strange decision nonetheless when the no, trainer... No, no, no. If, if it was headshots, he would have stopped it, you mean? Yeah. Not let it continue. Yeah, yeah. If it yeah. was headshots, he would have stopped it, but he didn't want to stop yeah. it because they were only body shots, which again is, seems like a strange decision for the ref to make when the corner is saying, like, my man's getting a, taking a beating. Like, maybe they know something the ref doesn't know. I, I you think... know what I might say in that... Um, you know what I might say in that situation? What's in, that? When he says that? Hey ref, you ever feel those body shots? They freaking don't. They don't tickle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, hey ref, hey ref, those body shots—they're no walk in a park. They're no ice cream sundae with a cherry on top. Yeah, that's ref, right. They, they, they hurt. They hurt a little bit. Yep. You know, it reminds me of the great Joe Lewis who was doing a commentary, and the great Don Dunphy was the commentator, and they're doing a fight. <laughs> and the guy's getting banged with some uh, body shots and all of a sudden Don Dumphy says and this is with the great Joe Lewis there he says it don't look like uh, whoever the fighter was is uh, enjoying those body shots too much Joe don't look like he's liking those body shots too much Joe and Joe Lewis in his always you know controlled uh Un, underspoken manner you know he was a classy guy he was a and he was smarter than people ever gave him credit for because he didn't talk a lot so they thought maybe he wasn't smart but he was a very smart guy he would say things sometimes when he said them that were very witty when he did say them and uh but as i said he was a a, a very low quiet spoken guy so he says so joe don't look like so-and-so is liking those body shots too much. And Joe Lewis says, who do? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was great. I thought, who do? So true, Joe. Who do like those body shots? <laughs> well, Nobody with any sense in their head. Well, you know what will uh, help you absorb some body shots a little bit better? is having a strong body. And you know how you get a strong body? There it is. Magic there it is. spoon cereal, the healthiest cereal Tremendous. on the market. My kids have been eating this stuff like uh, they send it to me and the kids eat it before I even know it's here. So I hid this box. I know Tremendous. you got some. They're a new sponsor. What do you think of the magic spoon cereal? I know you like to eat cereal in the morning. Yeah, I do. That's why I eat. Um, I'm eating it, number one, and I'm still eating it. Number two, that tells you everything you need to know. But here's the real thing. My grandson, who's living with us for the last year and a half, uh, my daughter and her husband and my grandson and my granddaughter my grandson's three and a half my granddaughter's one and a half and my my little buddy there joseph my grandson uh we're blessed you know we're blessed we have them they they sold their house just when the pandemic started and then they never looked for one and um they're never leaving, they're never leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not gonna let them leave but but um uh, so my grandson is finicky He's going through that stage right now, Ken, where it's driving my daughter crazy and it's driving my wife crazy. He he will he will not eat the things that you want a kid. My granddaughter on other forget about it. Forget about it. She eat anything. 
she she eat anything. Uh, you want some oysters? Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> codfish? Sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, Mexican? Sure. Put put a little extra chili on it. <laughs> I mean, she she eat anything, but he's become really really finicky to the point where you know we get a little concerned sometimes, to be honest. And when we when we got this cereal, and with came the announcement that it's not only a cereal but it's a healthy cereal the first thing we thought was <laughs> he ain't eating it you know <laughs> and um guess what he loves it he loves it and it's not made up crap you know i think people out there know i'm not going to say something if it's not if, if it's not something for me to to be able to stand behind as far as uh, being true so um you know at this point in my life i'm not going to start telling fairy tales um even though i do put my grandson to bed at night uh telling him some but only only for him but not to people he 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 loves it and his favorite is is the fruit the fruit one and i and uh that might be my favorite to be honest there it is the uh the one with the fruit yeah the fruit loops and uh that's his favorite. I mean, there's there's the one with the cocoa. There's uh, there's the. I mean, there's a. Uh, My kids have been uh, mixing the cocoa and uh, peanut butter to create their peanut own butter. Uh, peanut yeah. butter cup cereal. <laughs> and, and that's perfect. Yep. I mean, that's that's in, ingenious. You got small <laughs> kids, Ken. Very small kids, and um, yeah, but f- the fruit he he eats it. All I can tell you is you're doing something damn right. It's it's healthy. But it's still allowing a finicky kid who will not freaking eat anything but chicken fingers um, <laughs> and, and, and gummy bears. Oh, um, it, it, it's got him eating it. And yep. we're very, my daughter's very happy about it. Uh, I'm happy about it. He loves it. And it's good. It's good. Well, thanks to the people at Magic Spoon. We're happy to be working with them. And now, Teddy, let's jump into our conversation with uh, Tricks, Tris Dixon, the great boxing scribe. Um, with that, let's talk to Tris. Hey, guys, we're happy to be joined by Tris Dixon from the UK, author of the new book, Damage, the Untold Story of Brain Damage in Boxing. Hey, Tris, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. Hey, Tris, your book is important um, because nobody, you know, it's the elephant in the room. Uh, It took a long time for the NFL to finally deal with it and talk about it. Uh, In the old days, fighters that were walking around having problems and whether it was memory deficit loss or whether it uh, it was slurring of speech or the gait in their walk, uh, they called them punch drunk back in the day. And, um, you know, and nothing, everybody just thought, well, that's what happens to old fighters. But actually, it's what happens to anybody who gets hit too much in the head, whether it's a soccer player, whether it's a football player, of course, whether it's a boxer. And in in the NFL, it was a problem. And now the medical term on it is CTE. It's not... You know, it's no longer punch drunk syndrome. It's uh, it it has been classified as a understanding uh, of what it is and a and a term put to it. And CTE uh, has finally been addressed 
after years of not, as I said, being touched on in the NFL, where they're doing things, trying to be proactive, coming up with different measurements to try to deal with this problem. But the problem is, unlike the NFL, unlike any of the major sports, boxing has no national commission, no czar, no person in charge, if you will, uh, and definitely nobody that would want to bring up the elephant in the room uh, when obviously everybody's making money and there's there's nobody to say, hey, this is going to come and be a priority above making money. So you have come out with a very, well, a very important book. It's called Damage, the Untold Story of Brain Trauma in Boxing. And why don't you take it from there? Well, thanks, Teddy. I really appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, you touched upon many of the aspects of, as to why I sort of wrote the book, really. I mean, firstly, I think, you know, when you have, when you talk, talk about punch drunk and, and fighters, there's a really negative and derogatory connotation that's been uh, attached to boxing and boxers for a long period of time, for, for decades and decades. And footballers and, and, and athletes from other sports don't face that same negativity. For boxers, it generally seems to be, you know, people think it, it happened to you if you weren't very good or if you're a journeyman or if you were a sparring partner or, or whatever. And, and so I wanted to, to, to look at, to, you know, to try and make it something that wasn't an elephant in the room and that could become, so, so it could become part of the conversation. These guys are warriors and they deserve more respect than to be mocked and ridiculed. And there are several case studies in the book, including Leon Spinks, who I went and spent time with, um, where he appeared on a radio show once, for instance, and because of his speech, uh, they took clips of the radio, uh, of the segment that he recorded, and they made comedy routines out of it. And these are warriors. These guys deserve far much more respect than that. And, you know, I, I keep I, I because I suppose you're in front of me, Teddy, I, I think back to I remember you getting hot on a Showtime broadcast once, I think, or, or maybe, sorry, an ESPN broadcast. You were saying um, these guys leave more of themselves in the ring than they come out with more often than not. And you were getting hot because these guys weren't getting a fair shake at the time. And I think, you know, I, and I was almost screaming in agreement with you at, at, the, at the TV screen thinking, these guys sacrifice so much and people don't understand exactly what they're putting on the line. I actually question whether some of the fighters do, because when they say we know what we're signing up for, I think they think of an acute injury as something that might happen on fight night. So maybe getting stretched out or a brain bleed or something bad. I don't think too many are thinking of what might happen 20, 30 years down the line and the, the associated links with Alzheimer's, dementia and Parkinson's and so forth. So, you know, and, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book. You know, seeing you get hot about it, I get hot about it. I think these guys are warriors. They deserve more and they deserve more understanding. And I wanted to show that level of understanding. And that's obviously one of the reasons why I brought in fighters and, and, and their families into the book. So Frankie Pryor and Brenda, Brenda Spinks as well. Yeah. Name, name some of the fighters. I think the public, I think our audience would be shocked maybe to hear some of the names. Name some of the fighters that have this syndrome right now. Well, I think it's a great it's a great way to address this, actually. So I think a lot of people think that the, the, the stereotypical problems that fighters have 
are how they walk, maybe tremors and slurred speech. But obviously there's a huge amount of psychological issues that come and, and emotional issues that come attached to head trauma, as we found out. Really, it was the it was the cross reference into the to American football uh, that made me realise, like, geez, this this is happening to boxers too. You know, some of the behavioural stuff. So I, for instance, I went and met Harold Bomber Graham in a psychiatric ward in 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 London, and he struggles with uh, depressive tendencies. He has suicidal thoughts and suicidal tendencies. And he's linked that to he's linked it specifically to the Julian Jackson fight, but it's very rare that one punch causes that kind of stuff. Obviously, the guy had been boxing 20, 25 years. Um, so so there was that. And then Mickey Ward, who I've interviewed for the book, his symptoms are um mood swings. He's his short-term memory is not as good as it used to be. Um, I've known Mickey for 20 odd years, no, nowhere near as long as you know him, Teddy, Teddy, but he remembers me well from back in the day. And so that's why we have a, a great relationship now. I think if he'd met me last year, he might not he might not know who I am tomorrow, for instance. Um, so that kind of stuff with Mickey, and he says, you know, you or I might not notice him getting cranky, but his wife will pick it out. Charlene will pick it out every time. And that's how that, you know, how his, his changes manifested over time. So it's not just the physical signs, it's the emotional behavioral signs. And, you know, when you, when you look at boxing as stereotypes, how often have we heard about a fighter having millions of dollars and making bad business decisions? Well, yes, that could happen, you know, and, and you or I could make bad business decisions. We probably both have, to be fair. But in terms of bad decision making, brain function is affected by trauma and the, the, the decision making process is affected by trauma, too, down the line. So how many of these guys made decisions that they probably or might not have made had they not taken damage on during their careers? It's, it's, it's hard to tell. There's no exact science, but it needs to be part of the conversation, I think. And even worse than that, Tris, is the fact, oh my God, I, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but one of the reasons that I would go so berserk on when I had my platform on ESPN is that, again, with no policing of this with no czar, with no national commission, nothing in place, really, really, other than someone like you coming out and me when I was yelling about it on ESPN and you coming out now with this book, but really to address it in a proper way. And the thing that I'm going to say is there are fighters that have this syndrome that are still fighting, that, that are actually fighting. I mean, we're talking about retired guys. All right, that's one thing. But I remember years ago, Meldrick Taylor. Oh my, I mean, Meldrick Taylor was an Olympic gold medalist, a world champion, and fast hands from Philadelphia, the warrior, the whole thing. And he was, he shouldn't have been fighting anymore. I mean, this is a guy who was lost. This is a guy who had problems speaking anymore. He had all the synd syndromes that we're talking about. And I remember years ago in Atlanta, he was still fighting for short money on some small show somewhere. I mean, that shouldn't be happening. No, I mean, so there's a couple of points with that really is, you know, the, the problem is when these guys get a level of fame, if their old trainer or promoters kick them to the curb, there's always a guy, a young buck, wanting to make a buck and wanting to get their name. A stat, you know, obviously Meldrick, he might be, shot in the in, in boxing terms 
but he's still a name and he's got name value. So people will want to get attached to that. But what you what you're talking about is is obviously the wider scheme of care for fighters, which is so important. And I think, you know, it, it's terrible, even in the US alone. So there's some states where you need an MRI to box. There's some states where you need a CAT scan to box. There's some states where you need both. And some, some you don't need any. Exactly. And that's in, that's in one country. So obviously, you know, I know you wanted federal reform. We're talking to Senator McCain. But even if you addressed it in the US, we're still different over here in Luxembourg, in Germany and all the rest of it. So I think the, I've been thinking about this more and more, I think, since the book came out. And I think the best way of doing or approaching this would be for a League of Nations. So the top commissions in the U- US the British Boxing Border Control, some of the better recognised ones around around uh, the world, to join hands and have the same same regulations and same regulations across the board, medical regulations, suspensions, and lead from the front and want other commissions to join with them. Because I can't see any big global federation being formed out of nothing, unfortunately. Hey, Tris, I know that you. Um... Prior to writing the book, you were the former editor of the Box Boxing News and now doing some freelance writing. Can you talk a little bit about your background and what, what made you decide to write this book? Yeah, sure. So I, I've been working for Boxing News uh, as a freelancer. I started in 2001. I joined the staff in 2007, became the editor in 2010 and left there to 2015. So uh, I still freelance for them now, and I've been freelancing for Ring Magazine since the Nigel Collin days, and I think it's about 2003. Um, I've been the no-filter boxing presenter on BT Sport over here, um, and I've also done a lot of work for Sky Sports uh, in the past over in this country too. So I've been around boxing for 25 years, and I really, I really, so I've been thinking about writing a book about life after boxing for a while and thinking about why fighters historically have struggled and i started to narrow it down to three things and the first thing was they struggle with the loss of routine in the sense that they've been they've been used to getting up they've been going to the gym or they've been doing their road work they've been going to a day job and then they've been going to the gym the boxing gym in the evening and then that routine all changes as soon as they're no longer a boxer i think there's also a loss of identity where everyone the, the whole conversation around them is when are you fighting next? How can we get tickets? You know, you put it on sport and then and then after they've had a fight, or how did the fight go? And so their whole identity is lost in being a boxer. So when that's taken away, taken away, they don't really know who they are any longer. And then obviously I think the hardest thing to be to replace, and it's it's harder for fighters than any other sportsman because you're putting yourself out there more than any other sport, dare I say, is the adrenaline buzz of fight night. So those three things that you lose, the adrenaline buzz of fight night, which, you know, drugs haven't replaced for any fighters as I'm aware of, even though many have tried, uh, the loss of the routine and the loss of the identity. I wanted to write a book about that, but then I started to learn about head trauma. And like I was reading League of Denial, which is the NFL book, you know, kind of about the concussion crisis in the NFL. And I was reading about these guys like Mike Webster and, and reading about some of their behavioral issues. And I was thinking, geez, this has been going on in boxing since the 20s or even before then. And, you know, and then obviously I started to read more and more about these case studies in America with the NFL. And I was thinking, geez, this is boxing. And then it was only really through a deeper dive that I started to actually learn out that this CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, is actually 
punch drunk syndrome. It's just the medical terminology's changed. So it's exactly the same thing. And I was thinking, hang on, the NFL's doing something about it. Soccer over here is doing something about it. Uh, the NHL's done something about it. Even the WWE has done something about it. Yet boxing, and it's our issue because it's punch drunk syndrome, has done nothing. And it, and it drives me crazy. Let me ask you something, uh, Tris. Aside from the family and people like we're talking right now, and this is a very, this is a hard, straight at you question. Um, who in boxing cares? You know, I said that since the, when the book came out. I mean, I've kind of done my bit now. Let's see who's paying attention. And Thomas Hauser said the same thing when he reviewed the book. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested. It's so hard, isn't it, Teddy? Because you know how the sport works. And it's like a treadmill where everyone's on that same treadmill racing to the next pay-per-view blockbuster. And, you know, all these guys, you know, the scrap heaps mountain and the guys flying. Off I don't mean I don't mean to look. I'm not trying to be mean spirit or sing. But this is a serious subject right here. Do, sure. do you know any promoters who care? Well, hey, um, so there's this fighter study in Las Vegas, which is being run by Dr. Charles Burnick. And so Bob Arum is involved with that. Uh, I think the Heyman Boxing Organization is involved with that. I think golden boy is and i think they're investing into this brain study survey but in terms of what's being done logistically to help the guys there's not there's not a great deal being done you know stuff like unions pension funds you know this stuff should have been in place for decades by now and we're still going around in circles over it so um i think also one of the main problems is one percent of the people the top one percent of people in this sport probably make 99 percent of the money so it's all very well people like us talking about it, but unless you're up there with one of the guys making tens, if not hundreds of millions, what can we do? I mean, we can, we can on, on goodwill, people like yourself and maybe me and Margaret Goodman and a handful of like-minded people, Thomas Hauser, who want what's best for the fighters, could unite and create something, but what can we do financially? Not a whole lot. Well, there's a problem without having a national commission, without having that, you know, that, that lightning pole, that, the, the place where you can formulate not just ideas, but rules that could be put into place uh, in a broad way across the spectrum that have to be followed and enacted on. It, it, you're not, quite frankly, you're not going to have individual promoters really come up with the answers themselves. I mean, well, one of the things that I used to scream from the mountaintops at ESPN about was that if you did have somebody who could put together rules touching on the things you just touched on, pension, stuff like that, to take care of these fighters that have nobody to take care of them when their career's over, and the NFL does, MLB does, you know, all the other sports, NBA, they all do. One of the things is put a tax on these mega fights that happen a couple times. Oh my goodness, is that too hard to... I, I, I mean... Put a tax, a 1% tax, one and a half, but whatever, I don't care. Put a tax on the mega fights that are making these huge universes of money and let that go into the pool for pension, for medical benefits, for these fighters that retire. Obviously, you're going to have to come up with the criterion, the formula to say who gets the pension. How many fights? Is it X amount of amateur fights? Is it X amount? Because don't forget, a lot of damage is done in the amateurs too. I mean, you're fighting. You're fighting. So 
Is it an X amount of amateur fights? Is it X amount of pro fights? Whatever it is. But put that together and again, take a tax on these mega fights that happen. When, you, when you're talking about $100 million and $200 million and $300 million and $50 million, put some of that in a pool to take care of these athletes, these warriors. And I think there could be some crossover, Teddy, but, you know, t- charge a buck per ticket and a buck per pay-per-view. You know, just, you know, then you've got tens of thousands coming in regularly, you know, to help some of these guys. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you're exactly right. And, you know, you can't tax the small guys because some of them just make a handful of dollars each time and they've got their own percentages coming out, you know, cut men, managers, promoters, you know how it works. But like you say, at that top end, you know, those are the guys that can really make a difference. And if they want the legacy, they can really change the sport for the benefit, you know, for for the better. I want people to know that are listening to this right now. I want you to understand that Triz is a little bit more. He's in a pretty unique position to be writing this book because he's a little bit more than just a very good writer. Uh, He's got a background of boxing. Touch on that, Tris, because uh, you didn't. Uh, you're, you're modest. You didn't want to talk about it, but uh, in in all seriousness, there's no better person to speak on such a thing than a person that has walked in the shoes, so to speak, uh, that have drank from that cup. You have drank from that cup. Talk yeah, about I mean, it. I only had a like I had a handful of amateur fights over here and a handful over there in the U.S. But one of the things I did do. Uh, and I'm not sure I ever told you this, Teddy, but I actually went and trained in the Catskill gym with Kevin Rooney for a couple of months. And um, it was an interesting experience. You know, it was more museum than gym by the time I got there. And he had a handful of pros there, Leonard Pierre and Jay Krupp. And he had a heavyweight called Andre Kopolov. Um, and yeah, I boxed. It's funny, really, because my memories of that, which I have very fond memories of being in Catskill. I actually love the love the, the town, the neighborhood and the area and stuff. So obviously, as you know, it's a you Very, probably have you probably have some headaches uh, from the sparring, but go ahead. Yeah, well, no, that's where I was coming from. So I remember this this guy Leonard Pierre who wound up fighting John Duddy and and uh, Kelly Pavlik in the pros. Leonard, you know, he caught me with this beautiful right hand, and it sort of froze me. So I was looking at the the old rickety light above the ring, which you'll remember, and I was there, stood there, still stood up. Leonard came forward and attacked me, and all the rest of it. I saw out the round. And then the next day I had a, a cracking headache, a really, really bad headache right at the top of my head. And I went there to, I went there to spar and cause what am I going to do? Am I, you know, am I going to get beaten up in the gym one day and then not show the next, you know, what would Kevin think of me then? And if I said to Kevin, ah, oh, you know, sorry, I can't spar. I've got a headache. I think time might've moved on a little bit now, certainly with trainer and, and long-term uh, fighter relationships. But at the, at the time, I was obviously there trying to impress and trying to get a break and trying to do, you know. Anyway, long story short, Kevin and I went our separate white ways. He stayed there. I moved down to Atlantic City in Philadelphia and was boxing down there. Uh, Matthew Saad Mohammed was trying to help me out. And I was boxing in the gym with Shimon Alvarez and Levanta Johnson, guys like that. And I boxed all the way through that summer. And I, that headache didn't go for months, for absolutely months. And now with what we know about with sparring, with concussions and the need to rest. And, you know, when you look at the NFL and their return to play policies and how they've changed, I did some pretty ch- stupid stuff when I was a kid that if I got that time back now, I would do very differently. I really would. 
Well, Trist, th- I really appreciate you sharing that with us, and I want to be sensitive to your time. Uh, Tris's book, Damage, the Untold Story of Brain Trauma and Boxing, is available anywhere you can find books, Amazon, etc., etc. We really appreciate you being with us, and um, I'm looking forward to reading the book. Thank you so much for your time, guys. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, Tris. It's very important. Appreciate you coming on and talking about this and i say good luck with the book uh not for you but for the sport and for you but for the sport because uh the more light we can bring on this uh the better chance just like the nfl we have of helping these athletes and these fighters and these special people that are as you said earlier they're warriors and and they're brought up in a way where you're not supposed to complain you know, you get hurt, you don't say nothing. You, hey, how are you going to complain? I'm a fighter, I'm a warrior. You, you can't complain. I got a headache, so what? You know, and we need somebody to kind of speak for them and shine a light on this, so thank you. Thank you. Uh, Teddy, as you know, I'm a huge fan, big pal. Uh, and uh, You know, I always respected your voice. In fact, when I became editor of Boxing News, the first thing I did was get you on as a columnist, the, as, the, as the loudest, most impartial voice in the game and you're still that now 11 12 years on oh thank you tris i appreciate i appreciate you thank you thanks tris thank you very much take care bye-bye